Bible today. Acts chapter 3. I want to welcome everyone listening to us on the net and through the podcast. And uh, it's a blessing to have you with us here and around the world. We're going to, uh, I've got a title today, and probably what I'm talking about today will take me a couple of uh, sessions to do. So uh, the title is In Peter's Footsteps. And I want to talk about. Uh, Moving in the in the Holy Spirit just for a couple of weeks. Thank you, lovey. And uh, just to encourage you from the life of from the life of Peter, really, on how a young fisherman became someone who uh, first of all began to follow Christ and then began to move powerfully in the Holy Spirit. He had a powerful ministry. And if God can take a kind of a rather opinionated or mouthy fisherman and use him in a powerful way, then he can do it for me and he can do it for you. So what I want to do is just take a little bit of time, probably over a couple of weeks, just to talk about this. So in Acts chapter 3, here's a very, very uh, well-known story. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer. It was three in the afternoon. Now a man, crippled from birth, was being carried to the temple gate, called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. Let me just stop there for a minute. Um, Did you notice that? Verse 2, he was being carried to the gate. Uh, Lots of people think that Peter and John were going in and he'd been there hours. Right? He'd been there for hours. He'd been there since 6 o'clock in the morning or something. And they arrived 3 o'clock and there he is. But that's not what the Bible says, is it? The Bible says that he was being carried to the gate. Right? So just to give you a bit more on the story. These men were carrying the man to his miracle. And they put him at the gate and then Peter and John arrived. I don't know if you've ever seen that before, but that's what it says. That he was being carried at three o'clock. He was being carried to the gate. It's just interesting. And he was put there every day to beg from those going into the courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. And he said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up. And instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people 
saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While the beggar held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. And when Peter saw this, he said to them, Men of Israel, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us? As if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk. The God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the God of our fathers, was, has glorified his servant, Jesus. You handed him over to be killed. And you disowned him before Pilate, though he had dis- decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life. But God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It's Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has given this complete healing to him as you can all see. Now, brothers... I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders. But this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Christ would suffer. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out and that times of refreshing uh, may come from the Lord. All right. I, I could, I'd love to read on to the end there. It's lovely. Let's talk about... Let's talk about Peter, and let's talk about his journey, really, uh, in learning some of the things that he learned about the Holy Spirit, the power of God, and as he learned them, maybe we can learn some of them too. For example, let me start. The first thing we can say about him is that Peter knew what he'd got, really. He knew what he'd, what he'd got. As the man is being brought to the gate, Peter and John arrive. And can I just say, we've no real evidence that before this incident, that Peter had, at least since Pentecost, had prayed for anyone and seen any miracle happen at all. He may have, but he may not have. It's, we know that in the latter part of Acts 2, it says there were miracles, but we don't know if Peter was even there. Maybe he was, maybe he wasn't. The point is that when Jesus was around, it was much easier to believe that when they went for as a team into Samaria, they could command demons to leave, they could pray for the sick. Jesus told them, when you go everywhere... Preach the kingdom of God is near. You know, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the left. And when Jesus was sort of around, I guess it was really easy for them to kind of click into this way of thinking. That, because they saw all these wonders and signs, but now Jesus is not around. He's not there. If you like, to put it in our modern language, he didn't feel anything anymore. And yet he knew what he had. When the man looked at him, the guy has not been able to walk 
And everyone knew him as a beggar. He's not been able to walk. And he looks at him. And Peter dares to say something, which later he retracts, and we'll kind of get to that. But he dares to say this to him, look at us. (laughs) I don't have any money, but what I do have, I give you. So the first lesson I think we can learn from this, this fisherman is this. He knew what it is that he had. He believed that the Holy Spirit who had come upon him, we don't know how long ago, maybe a few weeks back, maybe a few days back, but this, the Holy Spirit who had come upon him, he believed that the Spirit of Jesus inside him was the answer to this man's problem. I want to ask you today, do you believe Because the answer to this question will determine how you live your life tomorrow. Do you really believe that inside you is living God Almighty? I remember going to a conference once, and I can't really remember much that was said, but I remember a song we sang in it. And it was one of those songs where I loved one part of the song and didn't like the next bit of the song. It's strange that, isn't it? But I remember... I remember the chorus part of it. And the chorus part went like this. I've got the victor living in me. I've got the victor living in me. And we're all dancing around singing it. Until we got out of the conference. And then we weren't so sure if the victor lived in us at all. I want to ask you today. Do you believe, really, that God lives on the inside of you? And that (coughs) rather than thinking about what different gifts we might all have, and there's a place for that, and we're looking at that during the week, of course. But just for one moment, putting aside the sense of whether I've got this gift or that gift, whether I have got this particular, you know, call and work to do, or whether I've got that particular call, just putting that aside for one minute, do you believe that God, who lives on on the inside of you, has in fact got all the gifts... And all the abilities. And that you have what is required to minister to others. It wasn't really based upon Peter's experience. It wasn't, as we're going to see in a minute, based upon his holiness. It was based upon his faith. That when Jesus said, you're going to do the same things that I've done, he believed that. I ask you this question, do you believe that? Because if you believe that, it will change your life completely. If you believe that. And I know the the, the truth of the matter is that some of us used to believe that. And then we grew discouraged by some experiences we had and we pulled back from believing that. But I tell you, it's actually time for our, our experiences to match up with the word of God. And not take our experiences and rewrite the word of God according to them. Can you say amen? I want to say something. I do not. I don't know whether you'll think this is disrespectful. And I I hope you don't think it is. Because I don't mean it disrespectfully at all. But I don't operate in my own ministry according to, and I was sharing some of this on, on, on Sunday night 
while we were praying and prophesying together. I don't live my own, I don't operate my own ministry by standing on a spring. I don't do that. By that I mean kind of whether I feel something, whether I'm feeling on top of the world, whether I'm feeling all prayed up, uh, whether I'm tangibly feeling God or not tangibly feeling God, whether I've just received some prayer from some some guy, some girl, whether I'm feeling called, whether I'm not, I'm not living like that. I used to live like that. I used to live like that. I remember coming back from a conference and I'd been in the presence of God and I remember thinking, I've got to pray for someone before all this wears out. And I think some of, some of our charismatic teaching actually feeds into that kind of thinking. That some anointing comes and goes. I, I don't want to live my life standing on the spring anymore. I don't want to do that. I'd rather live my life standing upon a rock. The rock of the word. And so, as sometimes as you know, many of you know, we travel around and see some amazing things take place. And in those places, it's not a matter of saying, is the spring of life with me today? Is the river of God with me today? Or does he not like me now? Or have I not been holy enough now? It's not about that at all. What it's about is this. Am I going, when I minister to these people, or whether it's in church or whether outside of a church, the issue is, am I standing upon the rock? Because I promise you this, if you live your life standing upon the rock, the spring will come out of it. Wherever you go, I'm not trusting. Or I'm not looking to feel anything. All I'm doing is trusting in his promises. Some of you will have heard a testimony just, I gave just a couple of weeks ago of, just as I was sort of fatigued in a church not far from here, and I'd done a lot of praying and I was ready for my coffee and custard cream, I tell you. Even if it was going to taste awful, which often they do. And when they say to me, do you want sugar? And I say, yes. If I say no, it's awful. And if I say yes, uh, an entire packet of sugar is normally put in it. But, uh, so I'm ready for my, I'm ready for my coffee and, uh, my, and my custard cream. I tell you, I'm ready. I'm ready. And just as I'm leaving, someone is put in front of me. And uh, uh, will I pray, you know? So I prayed. The girl had epilepsy. And really, I was just fatigued. And of course, I gave the girl my attention. I take it very, very seriously. But I'm telling you, there was no spring. There was no river. There was nothing that I could feel. The musicians had stopped playing and gone home a long time ago. They're in the corner having coffee and custard creams. Now they'd stopped. There's no atmosphere. And I prayed for this girl. Do you know, some of you know I got a letter just, just a few weeks back to say the girl, she'd had epilepsy all her life and she stopped having fits. But they, see, there was no, there's no river. There was no, there's no empowerment. There's no sense of, oh, we need to sing a song to do this. And Peter was standing in a street, in a, in a, in a Middle Eastern, sandy, dusty street, 
There's no choir wheeled on. It's just him and John and a guy that's never walked or not walked for a long time. If you're going to have a ministry in the Holy Spirit, you're going to have to know the Word of God. Because it's going to be about what you believe. It's not going to be about what you feel. I want to say that again. It's not going to be about what you feel. It's going to be about what you believe. We're not looking to experience anything. We are trusting in his promises. And sometimes in ministering to the sick, there's actually one overwhelming reason to do it. Other than the fact that people are ill and God loves them. And the overwhelming reason above that is that we're commanded to do it. So sometimes it's just really a matter of obedience. I want to ask, do you truly believe that God lives on the inside of you? Because Peter did. He really did. And like I said, we don't know if he'd ever done this before. Not since the ministry of Jesus anyhow. He might have been just as clueless as we would be. Let's not turn him into Superman. He was just as scared and timid because Paul often makes these confessions about his life. I guess it would be true of Peter as well. He said, I don't have any money, but I've got what you've got. Because we know that in some parts of the world, the problem with the church is it does have silver and gold, but it doesn't have what people really need. Oh dear. Sometimes we say, well, I'd love to, what I've actually got is money, but I don't have anything else for you. No, the first thing we learn about him, he knew what he had got. We were just saying earlier about having some fun in this room. I remember the voice of a devil speaking to me, telling me that he was going to kill me, telling me that he was going to come out of this person and come into me. I tell you this, if I didn't, if I didn't know what was in here, boy oh boy, I'd have climbed this room so high, I'd have been able to fix some of these lights. But it's about what's written. It's not about what we feel. It's not about who's prayed for us. It's not about whether we've got some holy handkerchief. You get your handkerchief, blow your nose on it, send it back. It's not about that. It's about what's written. And if you will base your life standing upon this, the spring will always flow. It will always flow for you. Because God will fulfill his promises. We don't know Peter felt anything. But he said, I've got something for you. I've got got something that will meet your need. Number two. The Spirit's power was released by faith. If you've lost Acts chapter 3, like I have, go back to it. It was released by faith. And not by anything else. By faith. Acts chapter 3. The people come running to the scene. And this is what Peter says in verse 12. Men of Israel, why does this surprise you? And why do you stare at us 
as if by our own power or godliness. Say godliness. Say it again. Our godliness. As if by, as if by it is the power of our godliness that this man walks. As if by it's our power and as if, as if it's by our godliness. He says, it's not that. It's not that. It is faith that has healed him. You see that in verse 16. By faith in the name of Jesus. This man who you see and know was made strong. It's Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has given this complete healing to him as you can now see. Peter says to them, whatever you do, let me use our modern terminology. He said, do not make us saints. Because we didn't do this. It wasn't us that did this. It was Jesus who did this. A little later, in the book of Acts, Peter is preaching again to a guy whose name I can never quite say. I think it's Aeneas, but I can never quite say it. And this guy who is not able to to move, he says, Aeneas, he says, Jesus Christ heals you. Well, he got that absolutely right. And the man is healed straight away. Peter says to them, don't look at it. It's not because I'm godly. It's not because I, I'm, I'm so holy, he says, that this miracle has happened. It's because of faith in Jesus. The power has been released by faith. It has not been conjured up by holiness or godliness. Now, how does that apply today? I believe that applies enormously today. Because there are loads of people in this room and hearing me who actually think that God will use you when you have cleaned up your act enough. And if only you could clean up your act enough, God would start to use you. Now, we might not have a show of hands and say, who thinks that's true of them? But I tell you, it's how people think. You know, God must be using this one or that one. They must be so holy. But, look, but it's not the case. Look at what he said. He said it wasn't. It's not because we're holy, he says. It's nothing to do with us being holy. It's to do with Jesus being good. I remember one time years ago, 10 years ago, sitting in a house group or something like this. I went to visit a church and they couldn't. Uh, have me Sunday, so I just did a house group there, something like that, as I, as I recall it. And sitting in the house group, I just told a few testimonies of things God had been doing. And immediately someone came up to me at the end and said to me, I just want to ask you this, how much do you pray? Hello, there's a strange question. But what he meant was, it, in order for this to have happened, you must be something else. You know, you must be in another tier. You must be something else. And that's what Peter's refuting here. He's saying, whatever you do, don't think that this has happened because we are more righteous than you. It's nothing to do with that. It's to do with faith. Now, I say this to people all the time. And people who want to get 
flowing in the gifts of the Spirit and get flowing in the power of God, I always use this same phrase, you have to be a fool to do this. And part of the whole thing of being foolish is that you have to believe something that you cannot see. You have to believe something that you cannot feel. So those are the two things. But the third one is the most significant of all. You have to believe that God could even use you. You have to be foolish enough. In the midst of all your times of being lukewarm and unholy and disobedient to God, in all your prayerlessness and your, you've lost your temper and you've not been this and you've not been that, which is true for many of us, including me, we have to get to that place where we say, you know, I'm going to believe the word. I'm going to believe what God said about me. And I'm going to believe that I have to somehow attain some. Now listen, let's not get the balance out of, out of, out of kilter. It's good to have a clean vessel. Amen? All right? It's good to have a clean vessel. We're not, I'm not advocating sinning. <laughs> Amen? <laughs> Of course not. But I tell you this, if you're going to wait for God to use you, if you're going to wait until you are just like Jesus before God will use you, I tell you, Jesus will come before that. Amen. I said it, I was thinking at church once and they wanted to have the miraculous in their church. And I remember talking to the pastor, I've said this before, but I remember talking to the pastor, he said, I believe, I believe the key is holiness, he said. And I thought, oh no, do you? Because if the key is holiness, that means that one day it's all going to be wonderful, and the next day it's not. One day we're all going to be on fire for God, and the next day we're not. But God doesn't work like that. God works according to eternal principles. He works according to his word. Life, miracles, the power, the anointing comes out of this word. comes out of obeying the word. It comes out of keeping the word of God. It comes out of, a, of believing the promise of Jesus. If you will believe the promises of Jesus, your life will be turned upside down. You may have to persevere. You may have to battle through discouragements and you may have to battle through many mysteries and things you don't understand. But we don't want to live on a spring. We want to live on rock. And any man who lives on rock will find the spring comes from it. Water gushing from the rock, just like it did in the, in the days of Moses. Just imagine, Peter, just imagine. You see, this is what this is what we would be like. Going to the temple, seeing the man, saying to him, Look at us. Here we are. Da-da. And then just as the guy looks at him, Peter starts to think to himself, back into the gospel of Mark, he wouldn't have called it that then. But he starts to think to himself back into the gospel of Mark. We don't know when this happened, but between Passover and Pentecost is 50 days. So let's imagine this takes place 10 days after Pentecost, maybe shorter than that. Let's call it 60 days. Let's call it two months. Peter is stood there 
And two months ago, what did he say? I don't know him. I never heard of the man. Not me. I wasn't with a Galilean. You know the story I'm referencing? And it says he swore. And he called down curses on himself. Today, in that scenario, two months after that happening, any modern charismatic today would think, I'd love to pray for you, but I've got to go and get counseling first for my problem. I've got to go and get the curse broken off me. I called down a curse, I've got to get it broken off me. Really? I can't go yet because I can't afford the conference fee. But are you going to be here this time next year? I'll be back then. Rubbish! Rubbish. Because God's forgiveness had, had gone to him. Peter believed more than just in the power of the Holy Spirit. Peter actually believed that God forgave people then and there and it was done. Especially after Jesus had that time with him by the beach in John 21. They say, well, I'd love to be used of God, but don't you know what I've messed my life? I'd love to preach, but don't you know what i messed my life is in? How can I prophesy today? You want me to go and pray for Susan down at the office tomorrow? Don't you know that I've, you know, I've still got this or that? Peter said, it's not holiness. We're not saints. We're not Roman Catholics. To quote Bonke, miracles are not signs of saints. They are signs of God. Hallelujah. Number three. You ready for number three? The miracle accompanied the gospel. What does Peter do? The guy's leaping around. Now, of course, today, if this happened... Peter would turn to John and say, "Um, do you have your digital camera? (laughs) That's what I do. But he sees the guy jumping and immediately he knows what the gospel's for. Oh, sorry. I'd rather say, he knows what this miracle is for. It's for the gospel. It's for the gospel. It's for the gospel. Wow, it's a miracle. Right. It's a gospel service. Bang. And he starts to, starts to preach to the crowd. And it wasn't a nice message. He didn't tell them that God had a wonderful plan for their life. <laughs> he told them, you killed him. <laughs> There's nothing seeker friendly about him. No one went around with a welcome pack and a, and a, and a boiled sweet. There wasn't a drinks machine. And not that any of these things are wrong. But you killed the author of life. Oh, thank you very much. You killed, he says, the holy and the righteous one. But he preaches the gospel. He preaches the gospel. Miracles are for the gospel. They're for the gospel. In Brazil, I remember... Uh, and I go back to Brazil in a few weeks' time, uh, towards the beginning of September. 
But I, um, I remember the first couple of nights I did in Brazil, I preached these big crowds and it took ages. There's this guy next to me talking in another language through it all. I think he was preaching what I was preaching, but you never know. They seemed to be much more excited when he spoke than when I spoke. But I remember, I like the second or third night, a thought came to me. We're preaching the gospel and then afterwards I go down and pray for these people and some amazing miracles would happen. I remember one day, it was the second night. It was the second night. It was a lady with cancer in her stomach and it just vanished. She came in fat, she went out thin. That'd be a good miracle to have. <laughs> Physician, heal thyself. The cancer just vanished. And she's sitting there telling me this over post-service, you know, iced water. And all these people had gone home. They, they never saw it. Now, maybe she testified the next night or in church. Maybe it was used by God. I don't know. But I remember thinking, no, we're not going to have this anymore. So I think it was on the fourth night. I said, okay, I'm going to preach. But just before I preach, we're going to see a demonstration of the power of God. And I would line a whole lot of people up. They all stood at the front. And I would go down and pray for them. And do you know, at least half of them, and on occasions, all of them would be healed. And we'd just take ten minutes to do a bit of praying. And they'd all be healed. And in some cases, most of them healed. And then I preached. Because now, I got their attention. Peter understood that, that the signs and wonders are not, in, they're not supposed to be in-house. We're not supposed to have another bless me session inside a house. It's supposed to be so that people who do not believe can come to faith themselves. That's why it's called a sign. You don't need a sign if you know where you're going. I don't know how many of you have seen already. It went on YouTube last night, I believe. Or maybe the night before. I've been at a safari park, so we've been away from civilization. Some kids, uh, uh, maybe you don't know this, some kids went into Disneyland. Anyone know this? Okay, some kids went into Disneyland from some church. This is the beginning of June, just six weeks ago or something. They went into Disneyland, and there's a whole lot of kids there having Coke and whatever in a Disneyland, in like a cafe. And the guy decided he was going to... Pre- you know, preach a bit. So he got up and he, and he preached a bit. And we kind of pick it up where the camera starts rolling. God began to heal the kids there. And one after another, after another, these, these, these people were in church. One after another, after another. In a Disney World, I guess it's Florida. In a Disney World cafe. And you, I'll, 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 I'll post this to you, shall I? Do you want to see this someplace? I'll email it around. You, you see it. One girl comes out, if I remember. She had a problem in her hand. Her wrist was broken. So the guy prays for her wrist. And as she takes, she, she takes the cast off, she's healed in seconds. And then in order to demonstrate how good it is, she puts her hand behind her back. And her back has been done in for years. And as she puts her hand, she realizes her back has also been cured. He didn't even pray for that. One guy is lying there and his leg grows. The camera films it all. And then, thank God, these kids had enough up here to say, okay, now who wants to become a Christian? 
Do you know what? Some of them did. It's amazing, isn't it? They put down their cola. And you see them all in a circle inviting Christ to be their saviour. Now listen, I don't know what happened to those kids. I don't know if they're in church. I don't know. But I'm telling you, miracles and the gospel go together. And sometimes I think we've been really interested in seeing signs and wonders, but we've not really been interested in witnessing to which those signs are supposed to accompany. Signs confirm the, the word, and the signs attest to the word. Not just to a preacher's word, but to a witness's word. The Lord went out, it says in Mark 16, although, sorry, they went out. Mark 16, the final verse, verse 20, and the Lord worked with them and confirmed his word by the accompanying signs. So here are just three principles. I'll do another, I'll do another few next time, next week. Moving in the, the Holy Spirit. One, if you're going to move in the Holy Spirit, you're going to have to know what you got. You're going to have to know that you are more than a conqueror and not just sing it. You're going to have to know that God, the victor, is living in you and not just say it. You're going to have to know it, that it's real. And that such as the person needs, you can give. Number two, you're going to have to understand that while it's good to keep the vessel clean, it's not actually about attaining to some standard before God can use you. And number three, if you want to move in the power of God, you're going to, you're going to have to take the gospel. It's going to have to be connected to the gospel. I'll never forget all my life that time in, in Poland where Pastor Paul took me to some guy's house. The, I think he was a photographer in the city. And I told the story before, but going in there and, and he said, please pray for my son, he has epilepsy. I prayed for him, but I wasn't entirely satisfied with this because I couldn't know if he was healed or not. I trust he was healed. But I remember saying there, Paul is Pastor Paul standing next to me. And I've said it many times all over the place. I don't know if it's because I was bold and full of God or whether it's because I knew I was leaving the country the next day. <laughs> because I was. <coughs> but I said, anyone else here sick? And the mother said, yes, I have knees. Well, she had knees. Knee problems. I just got so bold, you know. I got one eye on the door. <laughs> I thought, if this is a problem, Pastor Paul, he will deal with it. And I didn't touch her. I just said, I release you from this. And the whole family is all in there. It's like some out of the book of Acts. All the family is in there listening to me. And the power of God hit that lady. She began dancing around the room. Her knees healed it straight away and she tried to grab her husband and make him dance and he didn't want to. <laughs> and then turned and pulled open a drawer and pulled out a load of money and tried to pay me for the cure. I didn't take the money. Because it wasn't me. I tell you, if we will go with the gospel, 
then God will go with us. All the promises of God being with us in power, all of them, from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all are tied in to the idea of us going with the message of the good news of Jesus. Well, there's, a, there's three or four more of these, but we'll do them next week. Let's all stand. If you're listening on the podcast or the internet, goodbye. God bless.